The following talk was given at St. Maximian Kobe Catholic Church on Tuesday, January 9th as part of the Family Formation Program. In this talk, Danae Hebert of Your Holy Family Ministries talks about God's plan for family life. This title, That They May Be One, is actually a title we've chosen for our Family Formation Program. We haven't even actually launched that title yet, but it's kind of like our whole ministry is designed about the family becoming more unified, that we need to create um, unity within our family so that we can grow together and then closer to the Lord. Uh, John Paul II talked a lot about the communion of persons in the family and how important that was. And I know in our own small group, when we were doing our discussion questions, we talked about activities that we did as a family. And one of the activities we talked about was music, doing music together, and how unifying that is to work together, to learn to play something together, and then make something beautiful, and how unifying that can be for the family. It's a beautiful thing. So my first picture I selected about a family, I thought that was kind of funny, because <laughs> Yes, they're all there, but there's not too many people smiling. <laughs> Sometimes that's what our families look like. You know, we don't always exude joy, and that's kind of a detriment. But if I go back to what I talked about a little bit ago, is that you know, in the beginning, family clan is how humanity kind of started. You kind of grew up where you, you're around your family. Those are the people you associate with. Your friends were your cousins, and so you have the strong attachment to your family members. And then as history evolved, uh, people would move away from families and they would create small communities. But interestingly enough, they would often create those small communities around their faith community. So even here in Texas, if you go to some of those old small towns, you find, okay, this is where the Germans community was around the church. You know, this is where the church where the Germans went. And this is the community where, you know, uh, the Italians, you know, this is the Italian. And so uh, people grew up with people of the same faith, and they create their communities around that. And then as people started moving out of the small towns into the cities and living in city dwellings, we became kind of detached from those, both of those things. We became detached from our families, we became detached from our faith, and there was a strong attachment to success and achievements and self-improvement, and everybody became more individualistic. And that's kind of the society we're growing up in now, very individualistic. And the result is that there's become this breakdown in the family, there's become this breakdown in faith, a breakdown in morals. And so Dr. Sachs, who we've talked about, um, Leonard Sachs wrote this book called The Class of Parenting. On your flyer there, I put this one little quote he had in there that was a questionnaire that they gave out. It said, which of the following measured when a child is 11 years old of age is the best predictor of happiness and overall life satisfaction roughly 20 years, years later, when that child has become about 31 or 32 years old. And they gave five little um, things to choose from, IQ, grade point average, self-control, open to new ideas, or friendliness. And interestingly enough, he said in the past, it would just be someone's opinion of what answer that would be, but they've actually done actual research, and they have discovered through numerous studies, he's got three of them quoted in here, one from 2003, one from 2005, one from 2009, and the answer is self-control. Self-control. Well, our faith teaches us to teach our children self-control. By value of teaching virtues, we are teaching the skill that they need to be successful in their happiness in life. It's not about their socioeconomic status. It's not about their academic achievement. And yet our society views 
the greatest thing, achievement versus virtue. We've become very much a culture of achievement-driven rather than value-driven. And the result of that has actually been an increase in anxieties and depression in our society. And so one of the things that uh, we see in our common world is everybody's running around doing everything with everybody because we have this view that achievement is a thing we're trying to provide all these opportunities for our kids. So we get them in all these activities. So everybody's like the soccer mom. They're in the car. They're driving here. They're driving there. They're driving everywhere. We have a society that promotes working moms. And a working mom is very common due to our societal values placed on what, you, what do you do for a living. That's the first question people get asked. What do you do for a living? So it's all about what you do rather than who you are. Um, wanting to maintain a standard of living or you know, keep out of poverty. Uh, our society promotes the father traveling. A lot of times our dads are overworked. And what does that cause? Cause an absent father, a father who's not home all the time with the kids. And so the family sometimes feels abandoned. Um, our organized sports for the kids, not that it's a bad thing, it's a good thing, but it can be overdone. And we always have to step back and prioritize because Dr. Sex says one of the, the things that is coming out of the internalization that kids are internalizing is that you would rather me be involved in these things than spend time with me and have family time. It's like the priority that they're internalizing is that you're not enjoying being with me and spending time together as a family. So we have to be cautious that we still provide family time and show that there is an important place for it. Um, the faith life becomes just one of many commitments in our weekly schedule. Mass on Sunday, maybe, or maybe just on special occasions, and we're just trying to fit it in like everything else. It's not necessarily putting God first. And the family members individually become kind of isolated and splintered. Um, many times you can walk into a home and Johnny's in room one, Sarah's in room two, mama's in the kitchen, dad's in the office, in the garage. Everybody's in different places. They're not even in the, they're in the same house they're living separate lives. They don't even know what's going on with each other, don't know what each other are doing. We're living separately. That whole individualistic society and very splintered. Kids often don't like their parents after the age 10 or 11, and parents don't know how to talk with their kids once they become teenagers, and no community of love is felt within the family. And it's killing us. It's killing us. Our society is dying for the lack of love that should be felt in the family. So where do we need to go? God's plan for marriage and family life is so much more than what we're seeing out there in our culture. Our family should be a foundation of love between the spouses and between the children and their parents. This family should be a place of refuge from the difficulties of the world where everyone is loved unconditionally. It's hard enough out in the world when our kids sometimes go to school, sometimes they might feel beat up. We want them to come home and feel like, ah, this is a place I can feel rested, I can be rejuvenated, I can feel loved and supported and strong enough to go back out there, not to come home to a place where I feel isolated and separated. Um, our families need to be a strong support system for each member of the family during times of difficulty and a source of rejoicing when successes are achieved. So, like we said last, or I guess it wasn't even a week ago, but Sunday, the mission of the family is given to us by the church given to us by Pope John Paul II. 
but to guard, reveal, and communicate love. So I thought today I'd just give you three little examples of ways our family, my husband and I, have guarded, revealed, and communicated love. And maybe throughout the course we'll come up with some other ones too, but um, one of the ones I wanted to share with you about guarding love is guarding the authentic love between spouses, between husbands and wife, because this is so inundated by our culture, always giving us false images of that. So when my um, kids were very little, when we were first starting out, uh, our family, our young family, um, my husband's parents would go back to Louisiana for Mardi Gras to celebrate Mardi Gras with some distant cousins. And it was very fun and enjoyable. It wasn't in, it wasn't in New Orleans, the big city. It was a small town. Um, and we did that several years, had a great family time, go to the parades. Well, one year we went and there was a relative there that was in a same-sex relationship. And we were like, oh, oh my gosh. You know? like, and so we really had to visit and discern about that. Like, do we want to keep bringing our young children to this environment that is teaching that that's okay? And because it was a distant relative, it was a very easy answer for us. We were able to say, oh, we were too busy. We cannot travel all the way to Louisiana. It's not something we're going to do this year. And we just chose not to participate. And for us, that was a way of guarding an authentic love between the spouses by not exposing our children to that environment. And we were able to do that in a very simple way. We didn't have to talk about it. We just said, oh, we're not going. And that, and that was it. And so that's just one small example. Revealing love. I like to tell a story about my brother and sister-in-law when they got married. They had their first fight. My sister-in-law thought they were getting a divorce. She was terrified because she'd never seen her parents have an argument. She'd never seen her parents have an argument. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm not saying they never did or they didn't, but for whatever reason, she never saw it. So really, you know, revealing love is for the kids to actually see you work through those things in a healthy way. So when they see you have an argument and then you come through it and they see that love is revealed through that solution and just as scripture tells us do not let the sun set on your anger and so if we live that and we model that in our home we are revealing a way to love and then uh, communicating love um, I like to talk about hugging touching kissing embracing our children it's so easy to do that when they're babies oh my gosh everybody wants to touch and love and hold and hug the baby and they get older, and for some reason, we might stop doing some of those things. But we are a creature that God created us as human physical beings. We need that. And we need to remember. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves to make sure, have I hugged my child today? Have I embraced my kid? Do they know I love them? Do they feel it? And so that's another way we can communicate love. It's just by the simple touch. It can be a pat on the back. It can be you know, a blessing on the forehead before they walk out the door. Any little thing where you're actually physically touching, you know, that physical communication can be so important in communicating love in your family. My next slide is on priorities. So the key to lasting happiness, as Dr. Sachs states in his book that was revealed by these three studies, um, God gives us a plan to achieve contentment. And we only have to strive to follow it. So how do we find contentment? Well, it's all about priorities. And God should be first. We must follow the order of the commandments. God is always first in everything we do. So we must strive to have God in our personal life, God in our marriage, and God in our family. So God created us as spiritual and physical beings. And to that end, both needs need to be nurtured. When one is neglected, we become sick. So in the studies... 
Ironically, the first solution Dr. Sachs talks about in his book is teaching humility. Teaching humility. That book is a very secular book. It's not religious at all, but this is just a psychological thing they're discovering through psychological studies that people who are humble, who have humility, later on go on to be more satisfied in life, happier in life. And so we can look straight to the scriptures in Sirach. In the book of Sirach, chapter 3, on duties toward parents, a whole section is devoted to humility. Sirach says, humble yourselves, the more the greater you are, and you will find favor with God. So I always find it so enamoring when you can see a scientific study that just mirrors the truth that God has been teaching us all along. So how do we do this? Dr. Sachs has a couple of suggestions. One of his suggestions is to assign chores to your children. Okay, they're not too great to actually be given a chore. Chores are good for them. Limit their social media because it will feed the American culture of disrespect and self-promotion. Everything in social media is about, look at me, look what I'm doing. It's all about the I, I, I. Humility is concerned about the other. When you go and have conversations with people, are you able to sit and listen to the other, or are you just always wanting to talk and boast your own thoughts and your own ideas? Physical being, we as people who have physical needs, the second solution, that uh, Dr. Sachs talks about in his book is spending time with your children, which requires a significant investment, and it's about balance. God's plan for family life includes balance. We only have to look at the order of creation and the order God gives us from the church to know that balance is a key to all of life. He reminds us to take one day out of the week for rest and relaxation, but our culture has rejected this concept. To our detriment, and now we are people riddled, I talked about it earlier, with anxieties and depression. Everybody treats Sunday as just another day, another day to get work done, another day to um, have, do your chores. It, 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 we've been robbed of that time that it used to be where you would spend with your family. The Sunday was considered a sacred holy day, and you would spend it with your family. Stores weren't even open when I was growing up, I and mean, there was a time when that was you know, considered, no, no, why weren't they open? Because you were supposed to be spending time with your family. Well, now Sunday's just another day. And so we've, we have to fight to reclaim some of these truths that the church teaches us. Um, the church also reminds us to um, have the seasons of the church. You know, Lent and Advent, Advent will remind us to return to a time of prayer, time of sacrifice, returning to the sacraments. God knows our human frailty and that we can lose sight of our priorities, and he gently reminds us through his church. But if our lives aren't centered around the church, how will we learn these truths? Relaxed time together as a family is essential. In our American culture, we emphasize that what is important is what you do, but the truth is it is more important who you are. We must to start doing less so that we can become more. Dr. Sachs says we've forgotten to teach the meaning of life. We're so busy doing things that we're no longer teaching the meaning of life and the values that we've been taught are not being disseminated down to our children. The Baltimore Catechism reminds us we are to know, love, and serve God, and to that end, we will learn humility and conscientiousness. 
God's plan will feed our spiritual and physical needs. We must pray, play, and engage with our family. If any of these elements is missing, we will begin to lose the harmony that Christ intends for family life to be. So what does God value? Well, our Lord chose to be born into a family to live the majority of his life in a family, interacting with his mother and father and his relatives. The Holy Family prayed daily, they loved intensely, and they witnessed to the beauty of family life to their relatives, friends, and neighbors. God values relationships over possessions. God values love over winning an argument. The second priority should always be one's spouse. The best gift you can give your child is to love their father or their mother. There are numerous examples of parents devoting their lives to their children, and when they become empty nesters, they look at their spouse and they have lost their marriage. Many marriages end when the children all get out of the house. And why is that so? Because they haven't nurtured the marriage. Our marriages need nurturing. Do your kids a favor and schedule date nights. So important to nurture your marriage. Especially when the toils of parenting can keep you so busy where you're not having that time to visit together. We have to make time where we get away from the kids and just be with one another and remember our love for one another. There's a new book out called Primal Loss. And it's um, over the last 30 or 40 years, the culture has suggested that children would be happier if their parents divorced rather than stay in a troubled marriage. But a recent book titled Primal Loss, the now adult children of divorce speaks by Lila Miller, chronicles the stories of 70 adult children whose parents divorced and they speak of the grave damage caused to them by their broken family. It becomes not just the broken immediate family, but it breaks their family forever. It's a generational brokenness. When they then themselves get married and have children, they are constantly reminded of their parents' divorce because they have to decide, is mom and dad invited to my kid's birthday party? Do I have to have two separate birthday parties? Where am I going to spend Christmas? I have to go to mom's and then I have to go to dad's. And, I, and it splinters the family for generations and it continues to harm them in ways that no one foresaw. And so they talk about this and how staying together, working through their difficulties, how much better that would be. And, and Almost all of the children say, you know, that they still wish their parents would have worked it out, or is there some way they could get back together? And for some of them, they hang on to that hope, even though it doesn't even look like a hope at all. They hang on until their parents is deceased, and it's like when their parent dies, and they're like, oh, I guess they're never getting back together. Like it's it's such a deep, deep wound, and so. It can happen to anyone. That distance in relationship can happen to anyone. We have to remember if we're not growing toward our spouse, we're growing away. If we're not growing toward our spouse, we're growing away. So nurture your marriage is so important. Marriage is the solid foundation that will create your holy family. The third priority is your children. Your children should become before your work and before your extended family. When the Bible says the two shall become one, leaving their parents' house and creating their new home, that's what it means. 
You're no longer obligated to mom and dad in the same way that you were before or you were married. Once you're married, your new obligation is first and foremost to your family. It doesn't mean you don't still help out, take care of the things from your family of origin. It just means if I have to do this, how will it affect my family and what will I do to help it not to damage my family of origin? And sometimes we have to make really tough choices. I remember when my husband's grandmother became unable to live on her own and she started staying with his parents and their marriage was getting really stressed by her living with them. And they were trying to figure out what to do to still honor their parent and take care of their parent but not destroy their home. And so ultimately the decision was made that she could you know, go live in a facility and they would go take care of her and they would still be there, but she couldn't live in their home because that's what their marriage needed. And so sometimes those decisions, they have to be made. We always have to think our family first. Um, we have some really good friends who were both uh, working in the world, he was making a lot of money, but they weren't hardly ever with their kids. And so they got together and they talked about how are we going to fix this because this is not working for our family. And so as a couple together, they made the decision for him to quit this high corporate job, take a state job that would end at 5 o'clock, would allow him to be home with his family. They made less money, but they made choices because they wanted to still be able to raise their family. So sometimes we have to make heroic choices in order to create the holy family we're called to create. We have precious little time to rear our children because once they become teenagers, they will naturally begin to separate and start to become their own. If you don't devote the first 12 years of their lives to establishing a strong relationship with them, when they become teenagers, they will not value your opinion. They might even say, if you didn't have time for me when I was little, what makes you think? I will have time for you now. So how do we maintain relationships with our children? We talk about it in the word of play. But it's, it's being present with them. It's engaging with them. It's so easy when they're little for moms to know to spend time with them because little Johnny won't let you leave. They're like hanging on you or you're in a different room and they're coming over and they're like, Well, just because they become older doesn't mean they don't still really want that. Sometimes they don't even think they need it, but they do. Children do need us. They need us very, very much. And even when they become teenagers, if we haven't nurtured those relationships, if we haven't checked in on them and say, how are things going? How is your day? If we don't take time to take them out individually and give them opportunities to talk with them, we will lose our children. We will lose that relationship. We won't know them anymore because they change when they get older, just like we change. We become different people as life changes us with our age. And same thing in our marriages. Our marriages change over time. If we're not continuing to be in contact with one another, we can lose sight of that relationship. So we have to do the same thing with our children. Continue that relationship. Thank you for listening. For more information on Your Holy Family Ministries, please visit your holyfamily.com.